Uh, our guest speaker today is um, the author of this book, The Book of Womanhood. It's about valuing being made in the image of God, being a woman made in the image of God. She's also an associate professor at NIAC for theology and Bible, uh, PhD from Drew University, and just like Rich, MDiv from Alliance Theological Seminary. But she's not just a professor, preacher, teacher. She's also a mother, mentor, artist, mountain climber, and she's also pregnant eight months, which is exciting. And then lastly, yep, awesome. Lastly, at the very least, starting today, you are also a friend of New Life. And so welcome her to the front, Amy. Thank you, it is a pleasure to be here this morning to be able to share the word of the Lord with you. I was here about 15 or 16 years ago, just once, to visit when I was in seminary. Yeah, I'm, I am old. But um, when I was in seminary, I came to visit. I remember very much enjoying myself, but it's a bit of a hike from Nyack, where I still live. So it's great to be here again. I see Rich every now and then. We have him come and speak at our seminary chapels, where I also teach. And, and it's just really good to be here. You saw the title of my book. I wrote, I wrote a book called The Book of Womanhood. So I know that you say, you say that must only be for women, but please understand that that's also for men who want to understand women, because you do, right? <laughs> so, uh, so you can find out a lot about women. And I want you to know that I love being a woman, and I love being pregnant, although it's rather uncomfortable right now. Uh, I am so happy to be able to be standing in front of you and preaching while pregnant, because right now I'm so physically like God, because God brings forth new life. Yeah. Your church is called New Life Fellowship, and God brings forth new life in you. God brought forth new life in the universe, and women, we get to bring forth new life in this way. And it's such a privilege to be partnering with God, as Mary partnered with God to bring forth Jesus, right? But to be partnering with God in that way. So I'm, I'm so happy, I'm so happy to be here. But, but you know, you women know when you're pregnant, people always ask you certain questions. So let's get that out of the way so that we can have real conversations later. I want, I want to answer the questions. Everyone says, how are you feeling? And sometimes I'm like, just ask me how I am. But it's all, how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. As well as one could feel in the hottest summer we've had in a while, where your temperature is already higher and you have this uncanny ability of being able to sweat even when you're in the air conditioning. Yes, I'm feeling okay. I have a little toddler who's two years old. He turned two yesterday and he's running around the house and that also helps me sweat. But anyway, I, just so you know, I'm feeling okay. <laughs> Uh, I have five weeks to go. I just turned 35 weeks yesterday. My midwife told me on Friday that if I go into labor, they're not going to try to stop me. So if my water breaks while we're standing up here, um, everything's going to be okay. So no, no, no need for concern. Third question, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. God knows, so does my doctor. But uh, we have chosen not to find out. We didn't find out with our first child. And no, I have no deep feeling either way. Maybe that means I'm not connected with my child. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure when the baby comes out, I will still love my baby. Okay, that's out of the way, right? Now, I have been thinking, as a pregnant woman, because when you're pregnant, you think about pregnancy and children a lot, about my son. 
He just turned two yesterday. We had, a, we had just, a, just me, my husband, and, and him, little celebration for him. And he has no idea what's coming. <laughs> this, this small child who just turned two, who's developing language, has no, has no idea how his world is going to be rocked in just a few short weeks. And I think about him, and I don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy, and I'm like, is he going to get along with this next child? Is he going to have to crawl on me all of the time and be jealous? Is he, are they going to be rivals as they grow up? Like, how is my son, Johar, going to interact with this, another child that's coming into our lives? I mean, huge, huge change. I have no idea. And then I think it makes me think about my childhood. So I think you might think about your family. I am a middle child. I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I actually have more oldest child characteristics because my brother wasn't as oldest child as a lot of oldest children are. And, um, uh, you know, every, I got, I, I kind of took, took allegiances in different ways. I was more like my brother and we got along better than my sister and I got along. And so I think about, you know, these different things that occur in families, whether we're an only child, whether our family changes um, in, in, the, in the middle of our childhood, you know, these things that happen in families really form us for life. And that's why I'm thinking about my son. I'm like, how is, how is this going to work? And you know, some uh, kids are ignored. I don't think that that's going to happen in our family, but perhaps you're one of those people who feel like you grew up in a family and you were ignored and someone else had the favor and you did not. And, and for us, sometimes that doesn't even just happen in families, but that happens in, in our, it happens in our lives. It happens perhaps at our job that we're not always recognized for what it is that we bring to the table. And so as I think about my family and as I was preparing to speak to you today, I was thinking about that because in the biblical story, there's this story of a woman named Martha and her sister, younger sister at that, named Mary. And everyone says, be like Martha and don't be like Mary. Well, in the story that we read, Martha did make an error. She did not choose well. But when we say, don't be like Martha, we actually lose some of the wonderful things that Martha brings to the table. And so today, we're going to learn a bit about Martha and about how we can, how we can possibly emulate Martha in our lives because there's some great things that Martha brings to the table. So my, the title is, I Want to Be a Martha. In uh, Martha and Mary show up, this, this, it's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus who make up the family. We know that Martha's the oldest. We don't know the or, birth order of Mary and Lazarus. But those three of them make up the family, and they show up twice in Scripture. First time they show up in Scripture is the story where you compare Mary and Martha. And so that's in Luke. We're going to read that in just a moment. The second time they show up in Scripture is in the Gospel of John. So it's John chapter 11. And we actually ignore both Mary and Martha in that story because we're focused on Lazarus. Because Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead. So we're going to look at both of the stories today. We won't actually have time to read John chapter 11. But if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend reading it. Great story. I mean, come on, resurrection from the dead kind of good story is that? So there's a great story there, but, uh, but I will summarize it, and we're only going to focus on, well, primarily going to focus on, on what Martha does in this story. So without further ado, let's look at the Gospel of Luke. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the words that you have used to speak to us. And I pray that as we look at the story of Mary and Martha today, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us by your mighty power into the image um, that you have created in us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're not going to talk about this final portion quite yet. I want to just take a step back and think about Martha and who Martha is. There are three things we're going to think about with Martha today. First one is Martha's marital status doesn't stop her. Probably you never thought about it when you read this passage. We'll talk about why I think about that. And we're going to look at Martha. She's bold in her mistakes. And then we're going to see the mistake that she makes here. And then we're going to look at John chapter 11. We're going to talk about how Martha is a go-getter and has growing faith. So first, Martha's marital status does not stop her. You've probably never thought about Martha's marital status. Honestly, I never thought about Martha's marital status until I was writing a section in my book where I wanted to profile biblical women. And so I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to profile a woman who, women in the marketplace, I looked at um, a judge, a prophet, like Deborah and Huldah, a mother, Mary. I was looking for someone who was renowned primarily for being a wife, and I couldn't find one, which very much surprised me, because I grew up in conservative Christianity, and the goal in conservative Christianity, where I grew up, upstate, you know, they're different up there, but <laughs> we, they are. Uh, where I grew up, it was like your goal was to get married, like, and it should happen early. And our, my goal was to, like, be a good Christian wife. But I don't see in Scripture that being a good Christian wife is what the women were valued for. The women and the men were valued for things beyond that. Certainly, we certainly hope that, I mean, there were probably great things they did as wives and great things they did as husbands, but they were known for other things that they did that were outside of that. There was no stigma to being married or unmarried because Martha's unmarried. Martha's unmarried. Mary's unmarried. Miriam, Moses's, um, Miriam, Aaron's sister, Moses and Aaron's sister, is unmarried. Phoebe in the New Testament is unmarried. Like, there's a lot of unmarried women. Now, granted, I am focusing on women. There are, there are also unmarried, unmarried men. But they're even in a society where marriage is more economically important than it is in our society, there was nothing that was, there was no great praise for being married and no stigma for being single. For being single. It was okay to be either way. And we see that Martha's marital status does not stop her. Now, that's, I just feel like that's not the way it is in our society today. I think today, one of the things that we check off when we fill out any like, new thing is whether we're single or married. It's, first, it's like male or female, and then it's like single or married. Like, that's, that's, what you, that's what you check off. 
And, uh, and I also think, so we're, we're classified by our marital status, and some of us are very comfortable with our marital status, but if we're uncomfortable with our marital status, it feels like something that follows us everywhere and that drags us down. I have a good friend who, probably about 10 months before I got married, had just gotten divorced. It rocked his world. It was basically the worst event in his life. And so a month after I got married, he and I were in a faculty meeting together, and I was being introduced because I was about to speak. And although this was not something that I had written on my, uh, on my bio, he said, oh, and the most interesting thing about Amy is that she just married blah, 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 blah. And, and so I talked to this good friend who had just been divorced afterwards, and he said, if that's the most interesting thing about you, what would people say about me? So he felt like in losing, like, he was uncomfortable with his marital status, and, and there was a great loss, and he felt like everyone would see it, even if they were just introducing him to speak in front of people. If we're uncomfortable with our marital status, sometimes it becomes something that follows us everywhere, and it's something that drags us down. But in Scripture, that distinction is not there. There is, there, women are not praised for being married, nor are they stigmatized for being single. Same thing with men. It is okay either way. And Martha does amazing things as a single woman. And I almost said, even though she is single. But I think that's also my mind of thinking that there are gradations to marital status, which is just not the case in Scripture. So Martha's marital status does not stop her from doing several things. First of all, Martha's marital status does not stop her from running her own home. It says at the very beginning of the passage that we read that Jesus came to Martha's house. Now, in Middle Eastern culture at that time, as well as in Middle Eastern culture today, you live with mom and dad until you get married. Can you imagine? I didn't get married till I was 39. That would be a long time. I mean, I like my parents. So you live with mom and dad until you get married. So it seems that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, none of them got married. So what probably happened is they continued on in life. Their parents passed away. They survived their parents. And they're still in the house. And Martha, in a sense, inherits the house. Martha was the oldest. However, in that society, more frequently than not, it would go to the man regardless of birth order. But it's Martha's house, not Lazarus's house. So Martha's a strong woman who runs her own home. And her marital status does not stop her from doing that. She's not waiting until she gets married to do that. Oops, sorry, I didn't really want to go on. In addition to that, Martha's marital status does not stop her from hosting people in her own home. Now, Middle Eastern society, very, very common. You're going to have people come over. Food is great, right? You're going to have... But you know what? Martha wasn't just hosting small groups of people, you know, because every time Jesus came, Jesus wasn't alone. It was Jesus and 12 of his best for hungry male friends, right? <laughs> At the very least, if not including other men and women who were traveling with Jesus at the time. So the people that Martha was open to hosting in her own home was a large group, probably a larger group than I've ever hosted in my own home. And Martha's marital status did not stop her from hosting a large group of people in her home. And finally, Martha's marital status did not stop her from being a close, personal friend of Jesus. 
Now think about it. It doesn't say it in this passage, but if we look at John chapter 11, verse 5, um, let me get the quote correct. It says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, Jesus was close personal friends with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Single Martha was able to have a close, personal, non-sexualized relationship with single Jesus. Go figure, it happens. You know, if, you, if it could happen in biblical times, it could happen today. Our marital status, well, we need to be careful at certain times, should not stop us from being able to have close friendships of the opposite sex. And it does not stop Martha from being able to do that in a non-sexualized manner. Martha's marital status does not stop her. You know, if you're uncomfortable with your marital status, don't let it stop you from serving. Don't let it stop you from pursuing your desires regardless of what they are. Because your marital status does not own you. Whatever it is. Your marital status does not define you. Some of us are married. Some of us tried that, and it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Some of us are single, some of us want to be married, and some of us don't want to be married. There is no stigma in scripture for any of those marital statuses. So let us not bring it into our lives today. Let's define ourselves by how God defines us. God defines us as his children. God does not, God does not allow our marital status to make us who we are. Who we are and our identity is outside of that. Follow Martha's example and don't let your marital status stop you. The other thing that we can learn about Martha is that Martha is bold in her mistakes. And so let's talk about the reason that people say, be a Mary, don't be a Martha. This is where we get into the reason for this with Martha. She is rather bold in her mistakes. In order to understand this particular passage, we need to understand the context of this. You see, the story of Mary and Martha directly follows the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Someone who, that's his, he's being neighborly because he helps the weary traveler. So that's the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to the question that a scribe asks that says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself is embodied in the story of the Good Samaritan. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is afterwards embodied in the story of Mary. Because Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But what we miss is that Martha is being the Good Samaritan. Martha is serving a traveler along the road who is Jesus. So that is what Martha is doing. The thing, it's almost like they have different love languages. If you've studied the love languages, um, you might think about this. If they have love languages for work, love languages for the military, love languages. Have you seen these books online? Just like, if you go to Amazon, you can get a whole list of them. But um, Mary's love language is quality time. She sat at Jesus' feet, spending quality time with Jesus. Martha's love language is an act of service. 
So she is serving Jesus. That's how she shows that she loves him. And Martha's service is not what's wrong. It's the way that she is doing her service. Because being a good Samaritan has just been praised. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. Martha is being a good Samaritan, but the way that she is doing her service is not the right way. And we'll unpack that in just a second. So just hang on just a second. Just let's put ourselves in the story. Let's think, let's think about things from Martha's perspective. Pretend you're Martha for a moment. So here you are at your home, having just a quiet day with your siblings. Although Lazarus is not mentioned in the story, he's probably there. There you are with your siblings, when suddenly your, one of your close friends shows up with 12 of his closest friends, plus a couple others. And so here they are, they come into your, your house. Here is Jesus, he's come into your house. And you know that while right now everything's good, in a couple hours, they're gonna get hungry. And so you realize, well, pretty soon, I'm gonna have to uh, get the food ready, or we're gonna have to get the food ready, because as a woman in that society, that's your job. Your job is to be a hostess. Your job is to, is to get the food ready. So you sit with Jesus and his 12 closest friends and some other people for a while, and then you kind of like, you're like, time's moving on, I know they're getting hungry, and uh, you realize there's no takeout, no ordering in, Everything is made from scratch, no boxes, no nothing. You're like, it's about time, I gotta get going. So you glance at your sister, Mary. You stand up and you walk out. The glance meant come soon, sister. So then, there you are, you're like, okay, what's, what, what do I have to do? I've got I've to get the dough ready, put it together, and then let it rise. I've got to go outside and kill the chickens, and I've got to get the feathers off, and then I've got to get some vegetables to go with it. All right, here we go. You've gotten the dough ready. And my, Mary still hasn't come. So you kind of walk past the door where she's sitting with Jesus. You look at her, and you say... And you walk out into the yard to get the chickens. You kill the chickens, you come back inside, the water is boiling because you did already put the fire on and your anger is starting to boil about the same way that water is boiling. You need to get those feathers off and so you throw, that's weird, right? Who knew? You throw the chicken in the water and you're getting ready and you're preparing the chicken and then you glare at the door at your sister. You walk back over. The chickens are being baked, and you're done. You are so angry. You are done with doing this thing that you feel like you have to do, and Mary's not helping, and so you walk into that room, and you go and you rebuke not Mary. You rebuke your guest. Because what he's doing is wrong, and you say this might have whined this. Might be a little whiny. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Well, you're expecting Jesus to correct Mary. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have done it. Here's a picture. This picture's inaccurate, uh, but I was looking online and I found this picture. What I like about it is that it's inaccurate because there aren't a whole bunch of people. Mary's there at Jesus' feet. Jesus is there, and Jesus has his hand on Martha. (laughs) 
what I, that's what I like about it. I think there's a gentleness to the way that Jesus chooses to correct Martha and what, what she's done. He's got this gentle correction where he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken from her. It's like, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to tell her to do what you want her to do, Martha. Now, uh, you know, if you're in that story, you're fuming. If that's really the way that you felt, you were fuming. Now, she doesn't look like she's fuming there. That's not the way I look when, I was fu- when I'm fuming. But, but here she is, and Jesus corrects her, and we don't get the rest of the story. There is no rest of the story that we receive in Scripture. It doesn't tell us what, what was going on. But Jesus points out what's wrong and what's obvious. She's anxious. She's upset. It says earlier, she's distracted. It's not Mary's service that's the problem, because later on in John chapter 12, Martha serves everyone food, and she is not rebuked at all. So it's fine to serve. But you do it recognizing who you're serving. You do it recognizing who is there. You don't do it and be distracted and angry and anxious and worried. You do it out of love. And if you're distracted, angry, anxious, and worried, that is getting in in the way of your service to God out of love. You see, we don't, Martha is so bold that she rebukes Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? Your guest. That's what she does. And she rebukes Jesus. And in the rest of the story, we have no idea. But here's what I hope. Here's what I hope might have happened. And I hope this might have happened because when, when we read about Martha in John chapter 11, she has learned the one thing that's necessary. She goes, out, she goes right out to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that story in just a second. So here we have Martha. And it's possible that when Jesus corrected her, that, she's, that she went back to balance. That she went back to saying, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be okay. That she went on and she served Jesus in the right way and was actually corrected. I mean, that's what I hope. You know, like Martha, I bet you can think of a couple things that distract you, a couple things that worry you, a couple things that upset you. Maybe, maybe it's being maybe work, like Martha is something that distracts you. Some people, when they're single, were distracted by looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right, and you can't even focus on serving Jesus. Sometimes it's family that distracts us, sometimes children, sometimes other issues in our lives. And what I love, sometimes we can be so distracted in that Mary, Martha could have sat and fumed the whole entire time and never been bold enough to speak to Jesus. But she was so sure she was right that she was bold. And her boldness was what opened her up to correction. Because if she hadn't been bold, she would not have been corrected. And she may, she may have still been going on seeing Jesus, or serving Jesus in a way that wasn't really service. So she's corrected, she's bold in her mistakes, she is corrected. And when we don't try to cover everything up, but we're very real about what we think and we're real about what we do. When, when we need to be corrected, Jesus can correct us. And when we don't need to be corrected, Jesus can empower us. That correction is an act of empowerment still. So we see that Martha 
Her marital status doesn't stop her. She's bold in her mistakes. And finally, in John chapter 11, we see that she's a go-getter, and her faith is growing. You see, it's very clear that Martha's not perfect, so we can identify with her. She's like us. She doesn't do everything right all of the time. And so she, but she's a go-getter. You see in the story of John chapter 11, here's what happens. Mary and Martha are worried about their brother Lazarus, so they send word to Jesus. And when they send that word to Jesus, they say, the one you love is sick. And Jesus, for some reason, isn't, isn't clear in the text, Jesus waits for two days where he is before he comes to Bethany, where Mary and Martha are. And so when he arrives at Bethany, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. And so Martha, before Jesus even comes into her home, goes and finds him on the road because she knows he's on the way. You see, this is why I think Martha may have responded well to Jesus' correction, because here she is, focusing solely on Jesus. So she goes and she finds Jesus on the way, and they have this conversation. Her first words to him are words of faith. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's the idea that Jesus had to be there in order to heal And here you have, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing to Jesus later. But Mary does not add these second words of faith. These second words of faith make Martha stand out. She says this, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so Jesus responds. And when Jesus responds, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is a very, very significant statement by Jesus. It's one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. Very, very significant. It's our hope. It's so significant even for us. And Martha is the only one that Jesus tells this to. So that close friendship, she, she, Jesus shares like this secret, this, this interesting thing about himself. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then I can picture Jesus looking incisively at Mary and saying, do you believe this? And it seems like Mary immediately says this, yes. Yes, Lord. Her faith is strong. Her faith is growing. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, for us, we look at that and we say, well, of course he's the Messiah, the Son of the God, who is to come into the world. Mary is one of two people in Scripture who confess that. The other one is Peter, where he says, I know that you are the Christ. Messiah, Christ, same, same term, just two different languages. So Martha's faith parallels the faith of Peter... I mean, he had ups and downs in faith, but he was with Jesus for three years. Martha's faith is very, very strong. She's a go-getter. She goes out to get Jesus, but it's still growing. And you can see that it's still growing because of something that she says later. Later, she, Jesus is about, he says, roll the stone away from Lazarus's grave. And she's like, it's going to be a little bit stinky, of the dead body. Um, So she doesn't really understand exactly what Jesus is doing, but her faith is growing. And for us, like, if we're on that path of growing faith, it's very, very significant for us. You see, I want to be like Martha. 
Oops, I don't want to go there. Um, I want to be like Martha, because Martha's marital status doesn't stop her. She's bold when she messes up, and her faith is growing. She's, she's in a sense normal, like me. Now, I don't know if you're like Martha or if you're not, but I had a circumstance in my life that was probably a turning point in my life that helped me become a little bit more like that. It's my hope that you don't have a circumstance like this in your life. You know, I got married when I was 39. I'm 43, I'm having my second baby. I'm very excited about that and I like my age. But when I was 32, I thought it was my last chance at getting married. You see, I thought that singleness was bad. I thought that singleness meant I was less valued. I thought singleness meant I had less to offer to the church because there was no one person who decided that they could spend the rest of their life with me. And if there was no one who could decide that they could spend the rest of their life with me, then I must not have very much value. So when I was 32, I started dating someone. Nice enough man, a good Christian man, um, but not the right person for me. And I kind of knew it. But again, like I said, I thought it was my last chance and I needed this definition for myself. And so we dated for about a year. And he had asked my parents for my hand in marriage. And I, we got to this point where I said, listen, we need to work on these things before we get married. And he just went ahead and asked me to marry him because he finally got the ring. And I went ahead and I said yes because my plan was to say yes anyway. So here I am engaged. You think that's funny? It wasn't funny when I went through it. So here I am engaged to someone who I was swiftly realizing was not the right person for me. And maybe this is not something that would bring shame to you. But for me, I felt like if I said, I'm planning on marrying you, that if I broke that, that was my word. And it meant my mistake was going to be huge and everyone was going to know it. And so to make, for me, I mean, I had a professor in seminary who said, plan on making mistakes, plan on failing. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And, and, and it was at this point in my life where for me, not, not moving forward and not being able to make a relationship work felt like an absolute failure. Now, it's not. I realized that afterwards. And so what I did about two months later, I mean, I was, I was kind of in agony. I ended up breaking up with the guy and, um, and in a sense, breaking off all those hopes that I had. I mean, like I said, I thought he was my last chance. He wasn't, but I thought he was my last chance. And in doing so, I realized that when I make what I feel like is a huge mistake and a big failure, it's really not that big of a deal. And the Lord brought to me in, in saying, okay, my singleness is not going to define me. I realized that it didn't. Whether I was engaged, whether I was dating, whether any of that, I was still the same person. And I found that after I got married at 39 that I'm still the same person. I honestly still offer pretty much the same things to the world because God made me who I am. And in that breakup, it was a horrible experience for me. And I don't know if you've, if you've had that kind of breakup. But it was a, an experience where I found my voice and where I figured out that who I am is okay, regardless of my marital stat status. And while that may not have seemed bold, it was one of those things that was shown to everyone. And I feel like in that 
it was a turning point for me. Like all of these, if we're going to not let our marital status stop us regardless of what it is, and if we're going to move forward and be bold in our mistakes, and if we're going to allow our faith to be growing and not be perfect yet, um, it's a process, and it's a hard process. So my, my prayer for you is that you don't have to go through an experience like that in order to be on that process. Can I pray for you? Almighty and most gracious God, I pray for the men and women that are here today, those who have been ignored like Martha was ignored, those whom you are calling to move forward regardless of what their marital status is, those who you are, who you are just calling to yourself. Lord God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts right now that they may be able to respond to you in faith, they may be able to respond to you in joy, that they may be able to respond to you in love. And so, Lord, I pray that you would transform us in, these next, in this moment of intimacy with you while we are seeking to speak to you on our own. Lord, I pray that you would stir in their hearts and that you would, that you would draw us all to a place where we understand who we are is good and the way you've created us is good and we're able to move forward in that. So we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's all stand. You know, what I'm praying right now is that as we respond to this, we're going to respond in song, that this response song will be such a powerful encounter between you and God. There's some of you here, if there's a, if there's a word that summarizes these three ideas for me, um, it's tenacity, you know, it's this marital status or any kind of status will not stop me from my pursuit of God. It might be a, a, a fear or a lack of boldness or a lack of faith. And my prayer is that you will be unstuck and that God will deposit in you such a tenacity to pursue Jesus Christ. And there are some of you here, you absolutely need that today. And there are some of you, you will not get to the next level of what Christ has for you until you get unstuck. Until you, you God just such gives you the grace to have this tenacity to pursue him. And so as we respond in song, I, I pray that it won't just be just another closing song. That you will recognize that there is a Holy Spirit that wants to fill you, get you unstuck, and move you so that you could follow Jesus Christ the way he would have you follow him. And so I, I pray that as you sing and respond, may the Holy Spirit fill you and give you this tenacity to follow Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Let's sing. That's such a good song. Let's have the prayer team to my left. We also have the communion table to my right. If you wanna hear, thank you by the way, Amy. I mean, thank you for just delivering that word. Thank you. So could you put up that slide about her book? So some good news and bad news. Like, this really resonates with so many of us here at New Life. Um, she brought 30 books, and there's like three or four left. Um, and so if you want to hear more from, from her and her heart, 
um, you could purchase those two or three left. Uh, but, but if not, you can go to this website. Uh, those are the publishers, whipfetandstock.com. Um, search for the book, and then there's a discount code there, a woman, and so you could do that. A again, may you respond in the way that the Holy Spirit has you. Don't, don't be so quick to rush out of here. Um, you can purchase the book later. You can speak to her downstairs, but respond in prayer. Receive just a touch from God so that you could be unstuck, so that you could be tenacious, letting no status keep you back. Let there be a boldness and a faith that arises in you. And so at New Life, we, we, um, we, we end the service just by holding our hands in a posture of receiving that you might receive the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the grace to follow Jesus. And so may God bless each of you and may he keep you and may he cause his face to shine upon you and fill you. May no status hold you back. May you be filled with the boldness of God. May you be filled with faith that moves mountains. May you be a go-getter for Jesus today. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone.